by that. So we're going to be in Isaiah 53. You've heard me say it many times. Never, ever, ever trust a preacher. Always get out your Bible. Bring your Bible to church. You're watching on, especially if you're watching somebody online, nobody gets a pass. We are accountable to the authority of God's Word. Now, before we dig into the preaching of it, I just want you to look at it. Get your Bible, iPhone, scroll, whatever kind of technology you brought with you. There's just a couple things that I want to just point. I just circle it. Maybe it's for me, but that's okay. Uh, there's just a few points that really jumped off the page because this story is written 750 years before Jesus. The Roman Empire does not exist. Crucifixion has not been invented yet. And 1,817 prophecies have already been fulfilled. Do you hear that? People say this Bible's made up. 1,817 prophecies have been fulfilled. There's only two or three to go, and one of those is for us to fly out of here. So our goal is, my goal today is to get you to trust this word. Isaiah wrote this 750 years ago. So go down to verse, where am I at? Verse 8, all right? It says that he has no descendants, that he will be cut off from the land. That's the first thing. Remember the book Dan Brown wrote a few years ago, The Da Vinci Code? And everybody flipped out, oh my gosh, Jesus had a child, the Catholic Church hit him, and Jesus and Mary Magdalene had an affair. Absolute hogwash. But just to be sure, 3,000 years earlier, Isaiah wrote that the Messiah will have no descendants. In fact, he will be cut off from the land. Very clear, isn't it? Isn't that cool? God beat Dan Brown by 3,000 years. In verse 9... It says, he will be assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Well, how does that work out? Jesus was crucified between, come on, two thieves, right? He was crucified with the wicked. After he died, a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea came and took down his body and put him in his brand new tomb. He died with the wicked and with the rich. And then, of course, the money verse is down there in verse 12 when it says that he died for all of our sin and our transgressions. All right, so keep that open. We're going to go through this this passage. Uh, But I, I want to tell you, some of you younger people understand this. But because you have your, your iPhone, maybe it's an Android, but it does everything. I mean, it's your, it's your radio, it's your television, it's your, it's your clock, it's your alarm clock. In our day, we had a separate device for each one of those. We could not make toast with our phone. That was something that we, we couldn't do yet. Am I, am I telling the truth? See, these younger people, don't, they don't know this. We had an alarm clock. All right? And then we had... We had a radio, all right? We, we had all these, these separate devices. We had a calculator. It wasn't all built into the phone. And, um, and, I, and I remember back in the day, you could not use your calculators on the test. You could use your calculator at home to work out something, but on the test, you, said you had to use your brain. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, so, well, remember, I'm from Hawk Point, Missouri. So things are different. Things were different there. So I got my first calculator, and it had been heavily, heavily used. In fact, the multiplication key was totally gone off of the calculator. I'm telling you, times were hard. Maybe I'll just keep walking. Uh, times were hard when Isaiah wrote this. Israel's in a bad place. Israel is fall, falling off the map. They're worshiping all kinds of pagan gods. Nobody's following the Lord. He's already told them they're going to end up being taken as captives into Babylon. And yet, he stops. And if you look at this, this actually starts in 52 verse 13. From there through all of chapter 53, Isaiah gives us the most amazing picture of the Messiah that's to come. In fact, there's more information about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus in Isaiah 52 and 53 than there is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. 750 years before it happened, before there's a Rome, before there's crucifixion, and people are like, ah, oh, that book is made up. 1,817 prophecies already fulfilled, and the Bible is banned in 52 countries. If it's a fairy tale, why are people so afraid of our book? Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? But I want to show you just a kind of overview of what this message is about. Jesus died for wandering sheep. He starts off by that. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Anybody here ever taken a detour in your Christian life? Maybe you're on one right now. Maybe you're watching online and you woke up with a bad headache because you're on one right now. It's okay. Just pay attention, all right? Jesus came for wandering sheep. Remember the parable he told about the lost sheep? He said he would leave the 99 and go get the one because no good shepherd is going to lose one of his sheep. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And so we understand that Jesus is the good shepherd and we're sheep. But don't think that sheep are just all that smart. Because they're not. When sheep are out in the open, they will wander away. No matter how good a grass the shepherd leads them to, no matter how good a water the shepherd leads them to, which is his job, some sheep always think, you know what, I know where there's better grass. Sound like anybody you know? And they wander off, and the shepherd has to go find them. Because guess what the lions and the wolves look for? N not for the pack. They look for the sheep that's by themselves. That's why the church is so important. That's why your small group Bible studies or prayer groups are so important. Because when you are alone is when you are the most vulnerable. When you cut yourself off from connection and fellowship that God wants you to be in, that's when you and I are the most vulnerable. And we come together to support one another and stay in the pack. But Jesus said, I came to get the wandering sheep. Aren't you glad? We were talking backstage about our own walk with the Lord. And I said, they said, you know, when was your worst time? My worst time was about 14 to 21. And I can't explain it to you, but it's kind of like once things became legal, there was no reason to do it anymore. So 
I decided it was time for a change, and that's when I decided to start making my move toward Jesus. And it took me, it took me a long while to get headed in the right direction. But we all, like sheep, wander off. Now let me tell you what's amazing. If you go to Acts chapter 8, I'm just going to tell you the story, but of course you're not going to trust me, so you're going to look it up later. In Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, it's a story of an Ethiopian. And an Ethiopian, uh, he's, he's a very rich Ethiopian. It's a powerful nation at that time. And I even looked this up so, so you can, you'll, you'll know the facts. He, he walked from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to be there on the Passover the year that Jesus died. This would have been a once in a lifetime trip, even for the richest of the rich. He travels there. He wants to find out about God. He doesn't, he does all the Jewish stuff that he's supposed to do, but he was not privy to what happened on the other side of the town and Jesus dying and the resurrection that's about to take place. So he leaves Jerusalem with his entourage and he's heading south again. At a bare minimum, it would have taken him three months each way. If you Google it, how long does it take to walk from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, it'll tell you. That's the beautiful thing about Google. So he walked for at least three months both ways. All right? That's how dedicated this man was. This was going to be his lifetime trip to learn about God. But he felt like he didn't get everything. And Philip, one of the disciples, is walking down the road. And the Spirit says to Philip, go up beside that chariot which can be a dangerous thing. He gets up beside the chariot and he hears the Ethiopian reading. He's reading from Isaiah. And guess what he's reading? That verse right there, we all like sheep have gone astray. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, I can't unless somebody explains it. He said, is, he, is, is the writer talking about himself or someone else? And it said, from that very verse, Philip led him to Jesus. And then the guy, the Ethiopian says, hey, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And they stop right there on the side of the road and in lake, river, stream, whatever it was, Philip baptizes him into Christ. And then he goes back to Ethiopia. The Ethiopians claim that Christianity came in the 4th century. The 4th century is when they started building churches. But Christianity got to Ethiopia within a few days or a few months of Jesus' resurrection. Because one guy was reading a scripture that said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Now look, we don't need to go into what astray looks like. We, I, think, I think you've got a pretty good handle on that. Sin is missing the mark. It's not being who we're supposed to be. Some of you used to be. You need to get back. Some of you never were. You need to draw closer. I talk to people, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't born a Christian. You might have been born into a Christian home, but you were not born a Christian. You were born a sinner, and you need Jesus. That's, that's the, whole, the whole point of the gospel. Yeah, and so if, if you need to accept Jesus before we get done, you come over here uh, at the end of the service. You're online. There's a button. I have decided. You can push that button. People will help you. Uh, baptisms today at 530 down at Andy Romano Park. You can, uh, you can uh, show up down there and, and we'll, we'll take care of you. Answer your questions. Lead you to the Lord. But it's interesting that it's that passage. 
Because Isaiah is telling us more about Jesus than anybody else ever has. So Jesus is out there and he gives his life for wandering sheep, just like all of us. Jesus also died for all of our sins. Now I did an intensive study both in Greek and Hebrew. Those of you who have been with me for a while. You want to guess what the word all means? Come on. What's it mean? It means all. Because there are people today that teach that the cross of Christ is limited. That the blood of Jesus is limited. Only certain people are saved. That's ridiculous. You want me to prove it to you? 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the... All right, did I win? All right. Now, I think, I think the atonement's limited. I think only certain people are saved. Anybody who will accept Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on that cross was for everyone. The price was paid. Let me have a little fun. We always like to take a little break here. Uh, this is a, a picture of a heart. You've got one, depending what kind of shape it's in. Uh, but I want to ask evolutionists a question. The heart needs blood to stay alive. Yes? It has to have vessels to travel through. And the heart's no good if it doesn't have vessels and if it doesn't have blood to pump out. So which one evolved first? It all had to happen together, did it not? The heart, the vessels, the blood, it all had to come together. Jesus put us together, he made us, and then he's coming back to get us. That's the beauty of this story that we're talking about. But when you go out to eat, and I hope you've had this experience, everybody ought to have it a few times. You go out to eat, and somebody says... I got the check. Tell me that doesn't sound good. I don't care if you're a billionaire, all right? If you're a billionaire, you need to fund Guatemala. But that's, that, okay. But, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. But when, when you sit down and somebody says, listen, the check's on me. I'm paying. So just get whatever you want. Is there any better feeling? Tell, honestly. That's a good feeling, isn't it? Now, sometimes people wait to the end of the meal and they say, well, I'll get the check. Now, that's cool, but I missed out on the bigger steak. I mean, that's, the, that's, really, the, that's really the difference there. Jesus tells us in advance, I got the check. I've already paid for it. I already paid for all your sins. Some of you are thinking, man, I've wandered around. I've wandered away. I've wandered... <laughs> It couldn't be any worse than me. Jesus has already said, I paid the bill before you got here. The check was paid in full. That's why Jesus died. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. That's what qualified Jesus to take away all of our sins. It is a complete process. Well, what if I accept Jesus and then I wander or I, I, I accept Jesus and then I sin again. Jesus' blood is a one and done deal. It's all about you and me accepting what he does. And then we spend the rest of our lives helping other people find this message of good news. That's the whole story of what's being provided here. 
And then again, in this section, we get to the, the Dan Brown analogy. It's people set up all kinds of scarecrows. And you set up a scarecrow, he's easy to knock down. And the whole world was like, oh my gosh, Jesus had a son. Look, look what Dan Brown wrote. Who's Dan Brown? But all of a sudden, everybody jumps on that bandwagon. Why? Because they're atheists. Because they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the Scripture. So they're looking for a way to justify their unbelief. My job is to help you understand that you can trust what you've been told. That's why I continually push you back to the book. And I'll tell you, the world is terrified of what was read to you today. The Jewish rabbis around the world will not read Isaiah 52 or 53 to their congregations. Because they know if they do, they're going to read it and go, oh my, that story of Jesus makes an awful lot of sense now. So they literally skip it. They read through the Bible every year. When they get to Isaiah 52 and 53, it just doesn't exist. They go right on to 54. They don't touch it because they're afraid of the truth. That's what's scary. And a lot of Christians are afraid of the truth. You know, I listen to people say, oh, it's just a leap of faith. You've got to be bold in that leap of faith. Baloney. It's a leap of faith for yourself. For you and me to say, yes, I'm going to believe it. But the facts are well established. The science is well established. The history is well established. The archaeology is well established. Faith is simply you and me saying, I will be a part of what Jesus is doing. That's, that's what we partner with. What else did I want to tell you? Ah, John chapter 8. There's a story about a woman caught in adultery. That's a pretty rough story. I don't know if you know this or not, but it takes two people to have adultery. All right? If you didn't know that, you can write that down. But what they did, the Jewish leaders set this woman up. More than likely, one of them was involved. But they bring this woman, and in the law, in the Old Testament, it says if, if someone commits adultery, they are to be stoned. Stoned to death. So all these uh, yeah, rabbis and Jewish leaders, they all come around with their rocks and they throw this woman on the ground. And they're, what they're trying to do is trip up Jesus and take out this woman at the same time. She's just expendable. And they said, well, Jesus, what do you do now? What's the law say? Well, Jesus knows what the law says. And Jesus looks at them and he says, okay, guys, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And the room got real quiet. And then from the oldest to the youngest, it says, began to drop their rocks. Because the older guys knew that they were sinners. They had enough wisdom at least to realize that. They all dropped their rocks and eventually they all walked away. And then Jesus said, has anyone condemned you? She said, no, sir. He said, go and sin no more. It's what, a, what an incredible moment from death to life in a matter of seconds. But here's what I want you to see. The only guy qualified to throw the stone didn't. And maybe you haven't figured that out about Jesus yet. 
the only one who was qualified, who was sinless, who could have thrown the stone, he did not. He offered her grace. So he came to die for the wandering. He also came to die for all of us. And he became one of us. I love this part. I had an incredible group of professors. Pastor Cord and I went to school together. Um, I was in class more than he was, but that's, a, that's for, for another time. Um, but we had some brilliant, brilliant men that we got to sit under and, and be taught by. But you want to know where I learned the most? They come to lunch. They would sit with us at lunch. Now, they didn't have to do that. They didn't even have to be there. They taught their class. They could go home. That's what a lot of professors do. But they came and they would sit with us at lunch. And we, we would say, you know, right after you said good morning, I didn't understand a word you said the rest of the class. And those guys would sit there with us and they would explain the scriptures to us. And they would pray with us and pray for us. And that presence changed everything. No other God, no other religion has a God who stepped into time. Allah did not step into time. He did not become God. The other people that claimed to be God, you might notice one thing about all of them, they're dead. Only one person that claimed to be God stepped into human flesh. And it says at the very end of that passage that not only did he die for our sins, but he saw the light of life. Did you see that? That's the resurrection, obviously, that he's, that, he's, that he's speaking about there. But that presence, that Jesus became one of us. In fact, Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. See, the reason it was so powerful... <clears throat> when these men would come and sit with us, is they'd be honest. They'd be, they would be vulnerable. It's one thing to sit and tell you a story. It's another thing to say, you know what? I struggle in my marriage too. And my prayer life's not what it needs to be. And this has always been a battle for me. Jesus came into the world to show us how to live. He modeled it for us. We got to see him firsthand. And we don't follow a dead God. We follow the living Messiah. That's, that's who we have. And John 1, 1, we've already looked at that he, the, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's in verse 14. Go, go ahead and bring them up. I'm throwing you all off. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So, so Jesus is a voice. Remember, we've talked about in the fact, in the past that God is a spirit God exists in all kinds of forms, but he chose to put on a body, and this is verse 14, the word became flesh. The word there is literally the word of God pitched a tent to live amongst us, to show us how it's done. Now I'm going to finish with this. I kind of follow this. I don't know why. I guess it's sport. Maybe that's why everybody else posts it and everything else. But Bill Gates is obviously one of the richest men in the world. And um, somebody posted this the other day. They said, what is it that Bill Gates cannot buy? And, of course, people are trying to come up with all these things. The answer is very simple. Bill Gates cannot buy salvation 
for his soul. And after yesterday paying for his daughter's wedding, he's probably in a much worse position than, uh, than, he, than he's been in a long time. But you can't pay for your soul. And a lot of people still think, oh, I'm not Bill Gates, but I've got this, I've got that, so I'm fine. None of that's going with you, folks. Jesus said this. He said, what good will it do a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So today, you get to decide. I'm here to tell you that your book's been banned in 52 countries. I'm here to tell you that 700 years before crucifixion was invented, Isaiah told us the whole story. You get to choose what you do with that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those who need to accept you. There are people right here in this room. Man, we are professional wanderers. And I... I pray that this would be a day they would come back to you. They wouldn't say, I used to worship, I used to serve, I used to teach. They'll say, it's time. It's time I quit wandering and I get serious. Others have put off making a decision to accept Jesus, to be baptized. Others have held on so tightly to this world that Jesus has been choked out of their lives. Some people today are in such bad shape they couldn't even make it to church. And yet you remind us that you are a God who loves us anyway. While we were still sinners, you loved us. So Lord, may your Holy Spirit move mightily in this room. In Jesus' name.